We live in a very me-centered world, Jason, and everything we ever do is around how will this benefit me? Wrong approach. Plug into the mind of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. I have a very, very dear friend and mentor, someone that has been with me on my own journey of growing as a human being and looking to have a bit more mastery of myself, maybe develop a bit of creativity in the process as well. Professor Srikumar Rao has been a man that has taught on the platform of Valley, where I used to work and created the quest for personal mastery. But before he even got onto that platform, he has been taking business school students through journeys and quests for personal mastery creativity and I had the luck of being one of the students to go through this journey with him. It allowed me to build a lot more resilience, patience, be able to have some self-discovery and find inner peace and happiness in the process of pursuing business goals and entrepreneurship. He has one of the most eccentric courses that you would find in an MBA program that speaks about topics such as happiness. It is not what you would expect, yet is so in demand that even as he went to the various schools like Columbia, London Business School, the Kellogg School of Management, it was the most sold out classes, always in high demand, because there's an essence of what he teaches, which is all about making any of the ancient wisdom that is out there applicable to modern times, which is why on the Selling with Love podcast, we need to speak about how do we find our own self-mastery in the process of selling. There are ups, there are downs, there are good times and highs, there are lows that are really difficult to navigate when you're in the field of sales. We're going to tap into Professor Rao's knowledge and wisdom to see how do we make sure that as we go into this very, very interesting field, we can be at our best and find ourselves, if ever we are in a downturn, we can get back on our feet and be a little more resilient in the process. Professor Rao, it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jason. I always enjoy interacting with you. So I must confess, I'm quite looking forward to this conversation. Well, you were telling me just before we hit record that you have a waiting list of people that want to bring you on their show, and I made the cut. And so I'm very grateful. <laughs> You're most welcome, Jason. Normally what happens when I get a request is I send it over to a member of my team and say, please investigate and recommend whether I should do it. In your case, because of our history, I sent it to my team and said, please find a suitable time. And me being in Bali and yourself in the Eastern time zone, we always had to find an interesting time. So I'm glad our 9 a.m. in your side, 9 p.m. on mine. But this, I know, is going to be one of the best ways to end a beautiful day as well. So I first off want to congratulate you. I know the new book came out last year, Modern Wisdom, Ancient Roots, The Movers and Shakers Guide to Unstoppable Success. I'd be curious about the timing for that book because you've written books since the early 2000s and now we had this new one hit the shelves. What was the inspiration? What motivated you to bring one more piece of literature out? There were a number of people who came up to me and said that they really did want to hear more about the kind of topics that I cover in Modern Wisdom, Ancient Roots. So I figured the timing is right, and I let the universe work, and I go through intuition. I do not necessarily sit down and make plans or set goals and hit objectives and so on. So I go with the flow. I love it. Well, I'll tell you what. When it comes to sales, 
there's two key moments that I can recall very vividly in my sales career. There's that moment right after closing a sales, collecting the money or processing that credit card, which is really, really exciting. It's a high and it feels really, really good. You could even have a dopamine rush, I believe would be the neurochemical that probably gets released. And there's also the moments where maybe you can't reach that person, you can't get people to follow up, and it can become very, very emotionally exhausting, and you get into these kinds of slumps. I'd be curious, from your lens, whenever you speak to individuals who are very success-driven and see these highs or lows, do you find that these are things that we should encourage more, or do you think that they're actually maybe not the healthiest things to be experiencing in your sales career? Let me make a general statement, Jason, which is for anybody who's in sales, I would strongly encourage you to not let them get into the mindset, I am selling. No, you're not selling. What you're simply doing is you're screening the prospects that you are meeting. You're evaluating whether you would like to have an ongoing relationship with that person and you're enabling them to make the same decision. And what you're offering is something that is so valuable, so beneficial to them, that if you lead it right, you never even have to ask for the check. They'll say, well, where do I sign up and what do I do next? Selling has an implication of you're getting somebody to do something that is in your interest. You want the sale and the revenues, the commissions or whatever is dependent on that. You're not doing that. You're giving them an opportunity to make a significant improvement in their life. And that's something they want. So they want to do business with you. You're not trying to get them to do business with you. That's an extraordinarily important mindset. I highly agree. I mean, my concept of selling with love definitely would fit into that bracket. Yes, it would. That's one of the reasons for having this conversation. I'd be curious to know what your opinion is on this because I've had some conversations with a lot of people, and this is a question I always get a little more stuck on which is when you are finding yourself in a situation where you might be a little needy, perhaps you have bills to pay, you have some financial obligations that make it so that you have some desperate needs or at least perceived desperate needs to make that sale happen so that it can sustain you. Do you find that there's an opportunity to get to a space of selling in the way that you've just described, even as the needs you have around you seem to make you want to take? Yes, and this is a very difficult one. And trust me, I get this all the time. There are many people, oh my God, I've got to meet my numbers. I've got to make the sale. You know, my family's well-being depends on that. Whether or not I can pay my mortgage depends on that. So recognize that when you come from a space of neediness, it is a very repelling force. It just is. But despite that, that's where you are. And you cannot will it away by deciding, you know, I'm not going to be that way. You can't do it. You have to evolve into that. So the first thing is acknowledge your neediness. Okay, yes, this is where I am at now. This is not where I want to be, but this is where I am now and acknowledge it. Next, 
within that space of neediness, say, I need you to do business with me. But nevertheless, I am going to figure out what it is that I can do, which is going to be of genuine benefit for you. And I'm going to lay to the cards. Sometimes, if you're confident enough, you can even lay your neediness on the card. Look, this is what I'm offering. This is how it will benefit you. And you know, right now, it really would help me if you made the decision now rather than later. But if you want to hesitate, that's just fine. I'm just letting you know that if you pull the trigger now, here are these additional things that I can do because, frankly, I need it. And I actually had this played on me sometime. You know, I was shopping for a car and I met a salesperson who went through all of that and I was, wasn't really decided. And he said, look, you know, it would really help me because I have numbers to beat and this is the end of this month period when the numbers are counted. So it really would help me if you did that. And if you're willing to do that, you know, here's something additional that I'll do simply because I need it. And he was being honest about it. So sometimes if you can take that, you may find it works, but understand that you have to have a very high level of self-confidence before you can say that in a manner that is not off-putting and repelling. And if you were in that space of confidence, you probably wouldn't be that needy anyway. It's a catch-22. It is a catch-22. And I want to confess to one thing that happened to me not that long ago is I was looking at my cash flow statements and I was like, ooh, I'm burning a lot of money this month. And so I called up a friend and I was letting him know that, hey, I'm actually having a tight month and I'd love to be able to do something for you. And he basically said, well, how much do you want? And I said, well, a couple thousands would be really helpful. And when I told him that need and I said, maybe we could do a couple of things, we started brainstorming on ways that I could provide value for the exchange of what was that shortcoming that I had. And it was very easy for me. But again, I think I did have that kind of confidence to have that kind of conversation. And so I guess if you are not in a position where you're feeling confident, are there certain activities that we can do to nurture that level of confidence so that, you know, we're not stuck with no options at this point? There are two things playing here, Jason. One, you had that level of confidence. And I know that from having interacted with you for a long time. But over and beyond that, you had a store of goodwill that was built up in your relationship. So when you made your plea or your statement, you weren't instantly rejected. The idea was, gee, you know, Jason helped me a great deal. What can I do to help him? As opposed to, uh, yeah, call me next month. So the short thing that you can do is always be on the lookout for what can I do to help this person? We live in a very me-centered world, Jason, and everything we ever do is around how will this benefit me? Wrong approach. Recognize that you're in a me-centered universe because that's what all your conditioning has been. But make a conscious attempt to get out of it. What can I do that will genuinely help this person? Does not have to be money. Frequently, it is not money. A sincere note of appreciation a genuine, boy, you're doing a good thing and I support you, go a long, long, long way. Maybe somebody's given a speech that inspired you. Take the time out to send the person who made the speech a note saying, you know, I was really inspired. And be specific. This is what you said. 
and this is how it bears on my life, and this is how I plan to use it. Don't be fulsome, but be sincere. I had this little moment, I think it was last week or maybe this weekend, I was with my partner and I looked at my emails, or I think it was a comment on one of my YouTube videos. And it was such radiant positivity that was coming from somebody. And that was a little moment of joy for me. Now, mind you, I'm not a giant with thousands and thousands of comments coming in on a daily basis, but I'm starting to build a little platform and just getting that little comment from a stranger just lit me up for the entire day. And I had that little moment of sharing it with my partner and I was like, oh my God, look what just happened. And I was smiling and then I was excited. And quite frankly, I think it might've been one of those catalysts that got me to really want to go and book the best guests. And I think on the tail end of that, I've reached out to you and I was like, I want to bring Professor Rao. I've reached out to other individuals that I'm connected with. I'm like, we got to really bring the best on the show. And like, this is the impact we're making on people. And so I think that, shows how far even a little gesture can do for, you know, somebody, if that person would come back to me and have a conversation, I would grant them the time on the telephone. I would want to be in a conversation with them. And so if I understand this correctly, is even if we're in a position where, you know, we're down on our cards and maybe the financial situation isn't at its best, it would be good to build habits where we're genuinely showing gratitude and appreciation for the little things around us to be able to build ourselves back up and maybe having a bit of that, what it would be, goodwill credit in the process. Is that how I understand it? I rest my case, yes. So always be looking out. You're always stuck in your own world. You're always looking for what your lacks are. Recognize there are millions of people out there who would trade places with you in a heartbeat. There are refugees, there are migrants, there are people getting killed in a senseless war in many senseless conflicts, actually, not one senseless war. And here we are, incredibly privileged, mourning about how tough life is and how much stress we're under. Perspective is important, I think. What would you say is one of the symptoms? Are we just simply overstretching ourselves financially because there's so many ways we could meet our needs in simpler ways, but because we're in this chase, there's always a sense of not enoughness, which is what puts us in this neediness in the first place? Absolutely. There is a big element of that. There is a huge element of us. I know many people in India, personally know many people in India who are not in very good circumstances. They're beautiful, beautiful people. And a $20 bill would be, you know, mana falling from heaven. But despite the fact that it would be, they're not unhappy. In many respects, they're probably more fulfilled than the vast majority of us. You know, Walter Thoreau said a long time ago, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. He absolutely nailed it. And the reason we're there is because what we want. More precisely, what we think we want. And we spend our entire lives rambling to achieve something without realizing that what we want is really in our grasp. All we've got to do is recognize it. Because when you go out to amass a great fortune, when you go out to amass a huge income, it's much easier to do it from a space of not needing it than from a space of I've got to have it. So with regard to the people who need to have that income, to meet their pressing need. 
One part of it, as I said, is to recognize that they're in a needy space, you know, nevertheless do the best they can for others. Another thing for them to do is to see what they are spending resources on, which is not really something they need, but something they think they need because they've been conditioned to, into it. There's a lot of frivolous expenses we get into. We buy Starbucks coffees, for example. We eat out rather than bringing our larger food with us. You know, those are just trivial examples, but they are mil- multiply that many times over. We go on vacations. You don't really need to go on vacation. I forget who it was who said, but this is a very powerful statement. How much the fool that hath been taught to roam exceeds the fool that had stayed at home. You don't need a vacation to decompress. All you need to do is watch your mental chatter and let it go. Your vacation can be sit in a chair in your backyard. And trust me, it'll be every bit as good as jetting off to Tahiti or, you know, the Caribbean or wherever. You bring in a segue that I think is very important to discuss, especially when it comes to doing the activities that are necessary to have conversations with people, to discover what their needs are and see if we can help them. And that's doing those activities in sales that allow us to connect, whether it's prospecting, doing your sales calls, following up with people. Those are some of the bigger activities that a lot of people dread, but do them consistently enough and usually the business starts to drum because people notice that you care enough to follow up, you're reaching out, you have this genuine interest in solving problems for them. Those are great habits of a salesperson. But when you speak about this mental chatter that distract us from doing those core activities and we seem to be more excited to do other activities except the ones that might cause us, is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it, I don't know, an avoidance of this main thing? What do you think is happening here that makes us so oblivious to the fact that we're not doing what's in our best interest when it comes to doing those activities that actually make a difference? Nobody has ever pointed that out to us. We've been conditioned. We go by the conditioning that we have received. We see everybody around us doing exactly the same thing. So it never occurs to us, maybe there's a better way. I know you're a big fan of self-improvement and you've read tons of books and many of those books have given you ideas and you implement even a few of them in your life and it makes a remarkable transformation. Encourage your listeners to do likewise because what is keeping you stuck is not what's outside. What is keeping you stuck is what's between your ears. It's an important conversation we're having because I've worked with many at the beginning of their either sales or entrepreneurial journey. And I had the naive idea that I need to be able to give a ton of tools, systems, and templates to be able to help people achieve more success in sales when I realized that the majority of the activities that I needed to do to support these individuals, especially at the early stages of business, was actually a lot of personal growth. And it was a lot of mastering the mental chatter. And so from your point of view, 
Do you have some of the key ideas that you recommend for people on the early journeys of entrepreneurship to help them support themselves? Absolutely. You've taken my course, Jason, and the cornerstone exercise in there is observing your mental chatter. I would say that 90%, no, I'll go higher, 95 to 99% of all the problems we have are due to mental chatter. And of course, I get pushed back. Oh, you say it's mental chatter. That's not mental chatter. You know, I got hit by a truck and now I'm a paraplegic or a quadriplegic. How is that mental chatter? I got hit by a truck. Don't you understand? And the point is, yes, you did get hit by a truck. And yes, you are a quadriplegic. And yes, there are physical constraints that are placed upon you. But you will find that what is really making you happy or unhappy is not your physical circumstances, but your reaction to those physical circumstances that you are in. And once you get over the immediate aftermath of this is how the rest of my life is going to be, you can either find meaning or you can't. You know, Viktor Frankl, the author of Man's Search for Meaning, talked about a number of his experiences of people who were in concentration camps, frequently death camps, and some of them absolutely flourished, and some of them went to pieces. And his curiosity, why does this happen, is what led him to his life's work. So yes, your circumstances can be completely, completely destitute, but you can still be radiantly alive. Anthony DeMello was a Jesuit priest who's had a tremendous influence on my life. And he talked about one of the most fulfilled men he knew was a pedicab driver in Calcutta. A pedicab driver is like a rickshaw driver, only there's no cycle mechanism. He literally pulls people. And Calcutta has hills and, you know, valleys, so you can imagine two well-fed uh, Western tourists sitting in that while this poor scrawny man literally hauls them up hills and takes them to where they want to go. He was desperately poor. He had sold his body. There is an underground trade where people come and pay such persons money. And, you know, part of the reason he got paid that money is because he had tuberculosis. Therefore, he did not have very long to live. And they would, on his death, collect his body and sell it to hospitals and institutions where they'd be used for dissection and treating. So he was desperately poor. He was dying. He had sold his body. And yet, Father DeMello said he was one of the most radiantly fulfilled men that he knew. And of course, there's immediate pressure. Oh, that's okay for him, but I'm not like that. You know, I'm different. I need something better. That's all your mental chatter telling you that. Yeah, okay, you're accustomed to something better. You want to keep that going. Maybe you'll succeed. Maybe you won't. But if you don't, if the universe works against you, what are you going to do? Be miserable all your life? How being radiantly alive right now and from your place of being radiantly alive, you are in fact going to go out and try to better yourself. But why be miserable as you're doing that? And to people who say, oh, no, no, that doesn't work. I have to be miserable because it's only if I'm miserable that I'm prodded to do things. My friend, that's the world you're living in. Good luck to you. <laughs> well, it's so funny you say that because... I've have to say some of the times that I've been the most motivated to do something, especially embrace personal growth was after a tragedy and something where I looked in the mirror and I wasn't happy with the men that was looking back at me. 
And so, but at the same time, I didn't feel like what I was doing was sustainable neither. And so, did I do something wrong? <laughs> you never did anything wrong, Jason. You're always at precisely the point you need to be in your life for your learning. You're always at that point. You can either recognize it and work with it, or you can whine and bemoan and make yourself miserable. You choose. Hmm. You work with a lot of people that have amassed a lot of wealth and a lot of success. And I'm curious to know if you find that there's a correlation to this perceived unhappiness, the more things you've accumulated versus not having much and being happy in the present. I would say by and large, there is a negative correlation. In other words, the more well-off you are, the more the talents of unhappiness are embedded in your flesh. Obviously, there are exceptions. There are many exceptions, but in general speaking, broadly there. I had a guest speaker in one of my classes. He was a hedge fund operator. Many of the Forbes 400 were clients of his. And I was teaching at a top business school at the time. So obviously the conversation got around to money and, you know, they were expressing their views. And after time, he lost his patience and said, look, I don't know why the hell you're so concerned about it. Let me tell you, I know a lot of Forbes 400. I've got some as clients and I have many others. And many of them are sick, miserable fucks, end of quote. They just happen to be sick, miserable fucks who have a lot of money, but they're sick, miserable fucks. Look around you in the world outside. Look at the many really wealthy people who have decided that they want to do something in the political or some other area, and they have revealed enough of their personality that you have a fair idea what their inner life is like. Would you really want to be them? I grant you that you want to have what they have. You want to have achieved what they have achieved. And you want what you think they have. But would you really want to be them? Ask yourself that question sincerely. If I take this train of thought maybe a little too extreme, and I'd be curious to know what your counter-argument to it, are you suggesting that we should just stop anything that we're doing, go live in a mountain? No, you're not capable of doing that because you live in a mountain <laughs> and say, hey, what a silly thing <laughs> we get a mountain. It's not me. You don't decide to go live in a mountain cave. When the time comes, that happens automatically and there is no decision to be made. It happens. All you do is be aware of the fact that your avaricious, grasping nature is responsible for your problems. And you can't decide, I'm going to let go of my avaricious, grasping nature, because you can't do that. That has to leave you. You cannot give up desire. Desire has to give you up. So don't kid yourself by saying, oh, you know, and he has nothing, and he has such great peace, and I'm going to go out and do myself. No. What you're then going to do is become a person who is even more unhappy because you had some chance at fame and fortune, you gave all of that up. And now you've got neither that nor this, nor the peace of mind that comes from not having it. <laughs> the worst of all possible worlds. 
I was talking, I don't know if this is a mutual friend, but he's a man in our industry. His name is Yannick Silver. He wrote a book called Evolve Enterprise. Great gentleman as well. And I had a conversation with him and he shared a story about how he went on this journey. He was an online marketer and he always wanted to get the Rolls Royce and the Aston Martin. And then he got it and he had that realization that, oh, it's not even what I thought it would be. It wasn't even worth it. And so he sold it, got rid of it, and he went back to doing some very purposeful work. And I asked him the question, do you need to go on the journey of the chase to be able to realize that it's probably not worth it? And we didn't come up with an answer. And I think based on what you're saying is, if there is an itch, we need to scratch it to figure out where does this lead us to be able to figure out where do we stand? Is that how I have to process it the best? If you have an itch, you do scratch it, but scratch it with awareness and find out, hey, is this what I really want? I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. Every one of them will stick up their hands and say, do you want to run a billion-dollar company? The point is they don't want to run a billion-dollar company. They want the feeling that they will have when they're running a billion-dollar company. And even that isn't accurate. They don't want the feeling they'll have when they're running a billion-dollar company. They want the feeling they think they will have when they're running a billion-dollar company. We're getting into some deep waters down here, Jason. Mm -hmm. And the only way they think they'll have that feeling is by actually running a billion-dollar company. So they're out there desperately doing that. So the path of awareness means they become aware of these conflicting urges within them. And as they're aware of it, they still try to grow their company to billion dollars in revenue while realizing fully well, this is not what I really want, but this is the path that my life has put me on. And until it is no longer the right path, I will continue to do it, but I will continue to do it with awareness. I tip my hat to the column tycoons, the men and women that are running billion dollar companies because that level of responsibility and everything that is being generated through the innovation that comes through what they're doing has a residual benefit, I think, to everyone else. And I almost sometimes feel a slight guilt that I don't think I necessarily have it in me to want to build something that's billions of dollars with thousands of employees there's a part of me that's like, oh, that sounds a little exhausting. And as someone who's an entrepreneur, there's almost a sense of guilt that comes in saying like, is there something wrong that I wouldn't want to make that level of impact? We're all on individual journeys, Jason. And the very worst thing you could do is compare yourself to anybody else on any dimension. This guy tells funnier jokes. This guy is more handsome. This guy gets prettier girls. This guy is or at peace. Anywhere you look, there are people who are ahead of you on any metric that you can possibly think of. Comparing yourself to somebody else is the kiss of death. You're on a journey and you will find the path that's right for you. Nobody else can be there but you. The sooner you get that into your head, the more fulfilled you will be in life. Wow. I feel like everybody had a witness of what it's like when I get the support from my mentor. Professor Rao, this has been a fantastic conversation. 
Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure entirely. I have to ask you, before I let you go, a couple questions. One is, what's the journey that you feel that you're currently on in your stage of life? Actually, my goal, my explicit goal is self-realization. In India, we call it becoming a gami, And there is a contradiction right there because the truth is there is no self-realization. You're already at this moment as realized as you're ever going to be. And the only thing that's preventing you from experiencing that is your thought that you're not there. So at some level, I know that, but at another level, I am still on the path. And reconciling the two is what I would hope the rest of my life is. And in the meantime, whatever I'm doing, it happens, it's coming, it's flowing through. I get emails, sometimes a dozen a day, from people saying how much they've benefited from my teachings, my courses, public talks, and so on. And I am grateful, I acknowledge them. But none of it came from me. You know, I've mentioned that in the foreword of all of my books. You know, these are the teachings of the world's greatest masters. I'm the messenger guy. I'm the FedEx guy. I deliver the package, but the wisdom and the benefits come from someplace else. I'm grateful that I'm the FedEx guy and not to have any false ego. I think I'm a extraordinarily good translator of that great wisdom into actions and activities that are, are acceptable to intelligent people in a post-industrial society. But that's my role. I'm the FedEx guy and I'm happy being the FedEx guy. Well, you've delivered us one hell of a package today. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Professor Rao, I have one question I have to ask all my guests that do come on the show because you are on the Selling with Love podcast. And if I would ask you, what does Selling with Love mean to you? Uh, as I said earlier, no selling. You're not trying to get someone to do something. You're merely demonstrating, here is something that I can do. You might find it a benefit to you. And regardless of whether or not we do any business, I wish you well. I wish you tremendously well in your unique individual journey of life. And whatever I can do to help facilitate that, I will do simply because I can, and that's my path in life. And the more you have that approach, the more you'll find you do not need to sell. Professor Rao, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, as I mentioned at the beginning, will be going home with things to contemplate on based on where I am on my journey. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this amazing conversation I've had with Professor Rao. As I mentioned at the beginning, he is a mentor to me. He's someone that I've paid attention to that has helped me find peace and find very interesting ways of building my business in a way that I can be joyful in the process. And so if you haven't picked up the latest copy of his newest book, it is called Modern Wisdom, Ancient Roots, The Movers and Shakers Guide to Unstoppable Success. It's filled with tons of stories. And if you buy it on Amazon, on, which is the place I would recommend to get it, make sure you do leave a review upon reading this material. I know that I'll be on a journey to catching up because I haven't read it myself. So I just bought a copy and I'll be going through it myself. So join along on the journey and share me your thoughts in the process. Thank you so much for listening to the Selling with Love podcast. And until next time, keep selling with love. 
I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.